This is The Hard Move, and this is our Patreon extended feed. Prepare for the worst of this this week, as Andrew and I construct dark rituals, ask foreboding questions, and make people horny when we gaze into the abyss. Drown them in metaphor a little bit, uh, and it's just it's just delightful. <laughs> All of my children are my favorites. Ugh, they're just not, Sydney. <laughs> they're just not. You do have a favorite, and you just need to admit it. This movie is amazing already. I'm already, like, getting goosebumps from that <laughs> Yeah, I love dragging other people down with me. My name is Sydney Chris. My pronouns are they, them, and I'm an RPG designer and descriptivist. My guest today is actually the reason I'm sitting here in front of you right now. They taught me the nature of stream design, and honestly, without that uh, really core inspiration, I don't think any of this would be here. When they aren't inspiring me, they're writing Girl by Moonlight, tragic magical girl stories forged in the dark, and it has more heart than anything else I've ever played. It is uh, an absolute pleasure to introduce Andrew Gillis. Hello, Andrew. Could you please remind us of uh, your wonderful voice and your pronouns? Hi, I'm Andrew Gillis. My pronouns are they and them. Uh, and thank you very much for that glowing introduction. It is uh, me speaking my truth. Making friends with a Leviathan was probably the, the greatest joy I've ever had in a role <laughs> game. Uh, besides jumping across dimensions and time to save someone's life, that was also a joy. So... Uh, go by yeah, we, has... we never got to found. We never got to find out the like tragic twist of that one. Oh god, that particular move, which would have been great. Or maybe I'm just not remembering it. No, like. you're right. We didn't get to find out the tragic twist, but like uh, leaving it on the table for like head is also something I love doing with games. Mm-hmm. So that mm-hmm. makes me very happy. Um, speaking of tragic twists, you got in touch with me um, saying that you wanted to talk about a move that I think brings a lot of. Uh, wonderful, like, dark tragedy, and he's perfectly on that um, Girl by Moonlight uh, emotional vibe. Um, <laughs> would you be able to tell us the move that uh, we're, we're uh, attacking today and what system it's from? So, uh, today we're going to be talking about Gaze into the Abyss, which is from Monster Hearts. Monster Hearts is a game about the messy lives of teenage monsters. Um, it uses... Uh, the idea of being a monster, like a literal monster, like a vampire or a werewolf, as a metaphor for what it feels like uh, as a teen with uh, with your body changing, your understanding of yourself changing, all of these things, and the way that that can be monstrous in a more figurative sense. Uh, and so it pairs those two uh, notions hand in hand in a really wonderful way. Yes, uh, I, I love, and especially for this move that we're talking about, um, like monstrous, capital M monstrous, like uh, Frankenstein's and Sasquatches and werewolves and little M monstrous of like teenagers are really mean to each other, but also uh, uncontrollable in that like hormonal way is um, like those two are uh, conflated just constantly yeah, throughout the rules. The like volatility of teens and the yeah, their messiness is framed as being supernaturally powerful, which when you are a teen, it, everything feels that important and that world shattering and dramatic. So it, yeah, it does a wonderful job um, keeping those two things hand in hand. Um, so-, so also shout out to Avery uh, Alder, the author of Monster Hearts, who is um, an actual God. She is just so wonderful, amazing uh, and very, very talented designer, very wonderful person. Um, I am very lucky to have gotten to uh, know her because she lived in the same city as me for quite a while. Um, 
just great. Can't say enough good things about Avery. That's so wonderful. I didn't get a chance to like steal some of Avery's attention at Big Bad. There were just too many people around, mm-hmm. and we kind of hadn't built uh, any any foundation for that. But uh, love ev- like everything Avery writes is so uh, full of her like. Uh, so, uh, someone, my friend uh, Lauren McManaman, who um, you've met, mm-hmm. um, speaks about like games being Horcruxes, and everything Avery writes feels like that piece of her soul is put into it. And yeah, uh, yeah, she lays herself bare in a bunch of ways uh, in her writing and in her work. It's very, very powerful. But please, could you uh, read our move for us so that we can move forward into talking about all the juiciness? So, Gaze into the Abyss reads: When you gaze into the abyss. Name what you're looking for and roll with dark. On a 10-up, the abyss shows you lucid visions and you take one forward to addressing them. On a 7-9, to the abyss shows you confusing and alarming visions, but you get your answer nonetheless. Uh, woof. Okay, when I, when I first look at this move, it is so... Uh, it, it seems so bare, like it seems so concise and like it's offering so little, but every time I look at it, I see something new and something more. Uh, what does it imply to you as in terms of its design and its fiction? So the thing that really sticks out to me in terms of like, why is this designed? Why is this written the way it is? Um, is this is for, this is for when players want to like fish for something that they can't get at. Yes. Um, because if yes. you had some other way of accessing this thing, you wouldn't need to like to gaze into the abyss to get answers about it. So this is for when you, you want something that is out of reach or impossible or that you don't quite know about or how to get at. Mm. Um, and, and so you can kind of offer it up to the MC to be like, Hey, tell me about this thing, or I'm looking for this thing. And then it's a silver platter opportunity for the MC to just get their messy fingerprints all over it and follow through on all of the kind of agenda and principle stuff that they have around uh, you know, keeping the story feral, making the world, you know, feel real and monstrous and all of these things. They get to just uh, absolutely infest your heart's desire with dark messiness. Um, mm, so yes. you, it's it's a wonderful invitation as an MC uh, in Monster Hearts when someone does this because you get to just uh, drown them in metaphor a little bit. Uh, and it's just it's just delightful. It creates some very good conversations. Confusing and alarming metaphor. Uh, which I love. I love. Yeah, and there's that seven to nine result, um, which is explicitly g- y- that they are to be confusing and alarming visions, um, mm-hmm. which is just lots and lots of fun, and it's so personal as mm-hmm. well. Like every every character that gazes into the abyss is going to do it in a different way. Even the same character might do it in different ways, kind of back to back. And um, the the way they do it, as well as the things they get out of it, are both extremely personal, uh, which is wonderful as well. Yes. Okay. I, I kind of want to start. Cause, oh, that's so good. That's, this movie is amazing already. I'm already like getting goosebumps from how good this movie is. Um, there's start, starting at like the top of it. When you gaze into the abyss, uh, name what you're looking for, Rob with Dark. You mentioned there, and it's um, clear in the text as well, that uh, the way that the character does it, like that we should, while we're doing this, talk about how it appears to an audience. Um, mm-hmm. And the way that a character does it will be different. What does um, it mean to gaze into the abyss? Like, h- how do players, I guess, trigger this fictionally and show the MC that what they're trying to do is gaze into the abyss? Um, it's very, it's very open ended and like and and abstract there in that in that prompt, right? Like, it's it's nothing concrete in terms of gaze into the abyss. There's not a literal 
abyss to gaze into usually. Um, and so this, in- it encompasses a really wide range of behaviors and, in the rules text of the game, uh, Avery lists a bunch of ideas, like maybe you draw a pentacle in the earth and step in while chanting. Maybe you get high and slip into an alternate con- uh, consciousness or commune with demonic voices in the woods or simply blackout during history class. So it covers this whole range from the mundane to the like very expressly kind of magical or mystical um, and everything in between. And so I think there's a really important statement that gets made either by the MC or by the player when they do a thing and then someone declares that to be gazing into the abyss. Ah, it's, that's it's kind of, I think it's, uh, it gets prescribed or, or kind of put upon the action mm-hmm. is that that action carries this other weight to it. Oh, that's really, very, very fun. That, that brings up that really interesting question about like, uh, as, so as, as a player, there is a thing where you, um, you can build up that fiction around like, you know, stepping into the into the pentacle that you've carved into the earth, or or going into the woods late at night as the the birds fall silent and you chant with the demonic voices. That's all really beautiful ways of doing it. But as you said before, this is a move where like you want to know something, but you don't have another way to get to it. And Monster Hearts, in context, doesn't have a like reader sitch or reader person move. So there, there are very few moves that are in any way productive in Monster Hearts. Yes. Yes. Um, Which I think is really, really important to highlight is that everything is awful and bad. <laughs> like there just, there just aren't any ways to like, you know, like get information, relate to other people effectively, just talk to people about your feeling. Like you don't have any access to any of these skills, which we as adults might consider kind of second nature. And so, yeah, you get these very florid and uh, fraught versions of those ideas. So yeah, if you want to find out some information, the only way to do it is to seek, you know, the demon in the woods or the whatever, right? Powers. To like go to these yeah. really extreme measures. Yeah. So, like, uh, I guess the the fictional tag I'm looking for is what does gaze into the abyss look like in charged situations? Like, if if I'm, uh, if if my werewolf is standing in front of, I really should have got like the character names here. I've got so if, I, if I'm standing in front of uh, the the ghoul cage, the ghoul, and I want to know um, why they're seeming a bit off. Like, what's going on in their life? What are their stresses that's that's making them uh, unreliable to me at the moment? Because that's a thing that comes up a lot in my Monster Hearts games. Um, what I love about this move is that I don't have an option to, like, read Cage or to understand Cage or to reach out to Cage. But what I can do is I can say, as a, as a werewolf, I uh, close my eyes, I rely on my werewolfy sense of smell, and I breathe in deep. And I think I'm trying to, like... Smell cage out here. That's what I'm looking for. I roll with dark. And that that's like how we gaze into the abyss as PCs like driving towards that wanting information, but knowing that it's going to come at this cost of like confusing and alarming visions. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. And like if you, the thing you want to know about doesn't even have to be there. So in this example of cage, the ghoul, and if I want to know what's up with cage, um, I might just like have had a bad interaction with them that went sour. I then go home and I'm angsty and brooding about it, thinking about cage. And then I get my vision there. Like it can be at this remove from them or happen kind of asynchronously or, or at a distance, which is really important when the characters are constantly like shoving each other away or pulling each other close with no middle ground. That's really cool. I think there's strength in that too, where like the characters can't 
figure things out on the spot. So it's like, oh, if I'm talking to Cage in the moment, I don't necessarily have access to this. Mm-hmm. I have to go away and come back. I have to like go think about it, brood on it. And importantly, I think, come to conclusions on my own in an environment devoid of evidence, which is also oh, a very good like, okay. team behavior. Yes. So so I like that. So for me, uh, just because of the way that I, I like my games to run, like for me, gazing into the abyss in that moment, in that like charged moment between the characters feels like a good thing because then there's a roll and there's plus one forwards or there's six minuses and both of those are excellent for building on on um, uh, on drama. But I really like this idea of like, no, you don't get to us now. You have to go and brood and like ritualize this abyss gazing in some way. This isn't something- I definitely like to lean into that. Yeah. Mm. I think for a lot of the, that suits certainly a bunch of the playbooks really well. Like if you're playing the witch or the, um, you know, or the queen or some of these other characters mm-hmm. that are more kind of scheming, scheming or conniving, yep. plotting yep. kind of characters, they have this, this tool. And like, as a way to connect or kind of stitch together different scenes. Mm. This is a really useful tool to say like this thing happened, you reflect it, you reflect on it, and then you get this prompt to follow into another situation because the MC is kind of obliged to give you like a hook for another scene uh, in answering your question as well. And so I think, I think in terms of how this move works and how it's kind of a grandpappy of gaze into the, or sorry, uh, open your mind to the psychic maelstrom from apocalypse world. Um, in terms of how those moves, the like legacy of those moves exists, I think it is to give the players something to do when they don't know what else to do. It's kind of like a good fallback mm-hmm. as Which well. Which is why, like, yeah. I don't know, MC, like throw me, give me something, yep. throw me something to go chase after. Yeah, right. It's it's like a, it's a bit of a spotlight move where you're like, I want to... Uh, I want to get involved in this messiness. How do I get involved? Um, how, mm-hmm. how do I best? It's it's authority for everyone to like get their bloody fingerprints on everything. Yeah, and to and to give you a point of access back into the exciting stuff that's going on. Mm-hmm. If you're if you ever drift too far outside of it for whatever reason. Yeah, for sure. And so I really want to talk about those point of accesses because um so. Personally, cards on the table. I think offering plus one forward is like the least interesting thing in PPTA games. Like, I I don't think that success and failure is that much of a motivator. I don't think that like it's really particularly helpful. But like, what what is the functional um, success state of Gaze into the Abyss? Like, how do you if a, if a player is just saying to you, "Look, I just want to get involved. I just want a hook." How do you, as an MC, like decide the best hook to throw them? So they're gonna they're gonna prompt you, uh, which I think is really important. They're gonna they're gonna name what they're looking for. So right. that that can be a, if we imagine this conversation between the the player and the MC. The player is saying, "Hey, I'm interested in this thing. What can you what can you feed? What, give me some line to pull on or a string to pull on uh, about this thing that I am excited about." So they're already giving you a lot of information to build on, mm-hmm. um, and kind of. I like that the movie is structured this way where it's not just a blank question. It's not just give me something. It's, Hey, I'm interested in this. Give me something about this. Mm-hmm. So the player states their kind of needs or their wants. Uh, and then you as the MC get to say, Oh, cool. Like here's, here's a neat thing about that, that I've been thinking about or, Oh, I, had, I wasn't thinking about that, but here's, you know, my take on it, which is always going to seem interesting to the other players mm-hmm. because it's your idea. It comes from your brain, which is different from theirs. Um, and so, yeah, I think the the player ends up doing a lot of the legwork with this move, really. And it's kind of 
like I think I mentioned earlier, it's like a gift to the MC to just be like, here, do do your MC thing with with this object that I am giving you, this mm-hmm. like fictional widget that I am providing. Um, and and so then it's it's I find it's usually pretty straightforward to follow through on this because the player is really setting you up pretty effectively in most cases. Mm. And uh, there's usually enough floating um, matter, like enough floating hooks and threads out there in Monster Hearts that you can just like connect up two lines that already exist. But then that seven to nine of like confusing and alarming visions, one of the problems I always have when he, with engaging moves like this is how do you make something confusing and alarming? Uh, how do you make that feel impactful to the player? What are the stakes of gazing to the abyss? Like uh, uh, in terms of um, mechanical and fictional inputs and outputs of this thing, a question is asked, an answer is given, and that's kind of going to happen on any result, right? Like if mm-hmm. gazing to the abyss is a move that is about someone asking for a hook back into the story, and on a six minus you refuse to give them a hook, you have kind of like done some shitty MCing there. Like you have done a bad MC. No, I think I think a more productive version of failure in this move is to not say like you don't see anything but just to be like cool you wanted to see about this thing that you asked me about Mm -hmm. but you're going to get something totally different instead i think i think at that point you just push forward as the mc you just push forward one of your kind of active problems or or threats that you might have in the fiction it's a chance to just have that show up and it's like cool you don't get to have a hook about the thing that you asked for, you get this other thing instead, mm-hmm. um, which will still be interesting and exciting, but you know, isn't, you know, what you were, what you were seeking out. And so will always come as a bit of a, bit of a shock and a bit of an upset for the direction that you were expecting things to take. G'day movers and shakers. The hard move pays its guests for their time and analysis and is sustained entirely through Patreon. A big thanks to everyone who supports us, especially our episode sponsors for this month, Blake and Kate. Thanks particularly to the two of them. I was able to pay uh, the three guests for last month and uh, it's something that I really enjoyed doing and I'm really proud of. Patreon backers like these two and the other handful that we have get access to exclusive full-length episodes. This fortnight, I actually don't know what it's going to include because so much of my chat with Andrew was so great, I'm struggling to decide what to cut. I'm actually recording this to procrastinate because I can't decide. Being able to pay for consultative analysis is really unique in the indie game sphere, and it's uh, something that Matthew and I are very proud of. I can't thank you enough if you choose to be a part of that. If you can't, I understand, and it's totally okay. I'm really just glad you're joining in the conversation. Fellow fans of The Hard Move, this is Sean Fager, and I'd like to recommend you check out the 200-word RPG challenge. Found at 200wordrpg.github.io, it has, at the time of this recording, a five-year backlog of hundreds and hundreds of tabletop RPGs, each of which takes about three minutes to read. If you want to see a practical study of how to craft dense, play-driving mechanics, you could do a lot worse. That's 200wordrpg.github.io. So, like, what are the real stakes of of gazing to the abyss? And and I and I want there to be stakes, Andrew. Oh, I so want there to be stakes because, like, 
the abyss and the darkness and stuff should feel uncomfortable to engage with, or at least a little bit dangerous. It should feel um, uh, feral is the word that Monster Hearts uses. Mm-hmm. Like the abyss shouldn't be uh, comfortable and safe. And when someone rolls, gaze into the abyss and and gets a seven to nine or a six minus, like there should be that catch in their breathing that goes, oh, this isn't going to go well. And as you said before, based on their stance, like some Monster Hearts players are going like, to be like, oh, this isn't going to go well. I'm so excited. And yeah, some I can't wait gonna... to see my team get ruined by their own decisions here. Absolutely. So, like, uh, I guess, like, as, I mean, so yeah. What are the stakes? The move is the move is making a nod to that line when you gaze into the abyss, the abyss gazes back. Yes, and certainly, I think that is the heavily implied six under state because it doesn't it doesn't give a specific outcome for a six or less. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think generally. I mean, yeah, like the general answer I would give is that like, yeah, the obvious follow up is that some mystical spooky thing comes out of the abyss and makes makes you its target in some way, mm-hmm. um, you know, messes with your life, gets involved somehow. And there are there are never shortages of ways for that to happen in a game of Monster Hearts. Um, and so, yeah, I think I think that's the 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 obvious answer when no other better answer presents itself is always going to be. Yeah, the abyss case is back. It's something, mm. some malevolence emerges from that. Oh, that's very good, and that's that's why like the more fictional positioning you get from your players, the more cool dark fiction you get from them going into gaze into the abyss. The more like cool dark fiction you have to leverage coming out of it, mm-hmm. uh, which I love. Like you know, going going into the dark woods at midnight when the birds are silent to commune with demonic voices has some implied six minus stakes to it. Uh, yes. Whereas, like, I gaze into the abyss, roll plus dark does not have those implied stakes. Yeah, suddenly there's a there's a absence of uh, context to inform that, that mm. outcome. So, so, yeah, encouraging. And I, there is a bunch of advice in the book about encouraging them to say what they're actually doing describe for us, you know, what we see, what the audience sees, um, that everyone should, in the course of playing any PBTA game, it's always really important to keep the fiction full of details, even kind of extraneous ones. So like to always be feeding into the fiction is the main kind of focus of all the mechanics. And so don't shirk, no player should shirk their responsibility in so doing and shouldn't just be like, oh, I gaze into the abyss, I roll plus dark. Mm-hmm. It's a disservice to themselves and the other players of the game. And like to the fiction of of what Monster Hearts is, right? Like we spoke yeah, about and to the it's... story that we're all telling, and yeah, oh yeah, and yeah. If you don't want to wax melodramatic about your character's edgy, dark abyss gazing, then uh, why are you here? Why are you playing <laughs> Monster Hearts? This is this is what we came to the table to do. Absolutely, uh, and, and like uh, yeah, this movie's extra. This movie's extra AF. Top to bottom. Yeah, and like it gets even there is option to make it deeper and deeper into that. Uh with the um the mortal having a move that complements this with adding like options to do self-harm and other stuff. Yeah. So there are all these different directions that it can go, depending on people's playbook choices as well as their comfort level, obviously, with such themes and content. Uh but you know that that thread is there. Mm. of like the you know the darker side of teen melodrama and the what the abyss represents for the characters 
in terms of whether it's an external magical thing or an internal emotional thing, vis-a-vis like depression, uh, the kind of ideation that comes with it, all this type of stuff. Mm. It goes to a bunch of places if you want to take it there and can be leveraged to get at that, those darker elements, certainly. Which is that metaphor crossing again of like the darkness inherent in teen life and the darkness inherent in uh, being a ghost. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And again, conflating those two ideas that are different and the same at all Mm. times. Yeah. How how do you like encourage new players to gaze into the abyss? How do you like encourage them to to engage with this formless thing that is really not providing them a lot of help? Like gazing into the abyss is relying a lot on tone and maybe um, some uh, cultural touchstones or pop culture touchstones. How do you like support a new a new player who uh, you want to see them gaze into the abyss, but they're not driving toward they're, like, that hesitant to engage it? Yeah, or they don't know how. Yeah, I mean, there's always that option uh, as the MC to ask, just be like, "Oh, you're like walking home with your hands in your pockets, thinking about that boy you have a crush on. Are you gazing into the abyss?" Like, is that gazing beautiful? I like um, that. I like that. And so just, just putting it forward as an option, I don't think it's ever nice to just be like, Hey, you're gazing into the abyss, roll those dice. Um, yeah. But to, to present it as an option for the player to, you know, say like, Oh yeah, cool. I hadn't thought of that. Or if they're like really not into it and that's why they're not doing it at that point, they can make that clear by just saying, uh, no, thank you. I don't want to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, so that would be my strategy if I were That's running really a game and strong. I saw someone kind of neglecting that move. Just look for opportunities to kind of float it in front of people's noses and, you know, see if they like it mm-hmm. uh, in that context. Because it is very flexible in terms of the kinds of fiction that can support it. And I think people will tend to naturally get their characters into those situations that kind of present this as an option. Yeah, because all you really need to do is have a question that you want the answer to and be in a place where some level of darkness can be invoked. Mm-hmm. Um, mm. And their lives should be full of melodramatic darkness all exactly. the time. So like, and yeah. they constantly be making a mess of things because they don't have tools to do anything else. And so there will always be these gaps in their understanding and the mixed up feelings about it just kind of pregnant with this possibility of an abyss to gaze into. Mm. Um, oh boy. So I, I don't, I don't know. Ah, I was going to ask a question about like people using gaze into the abyss, like all the time, but I don't like, if it's, if it's your only solution, like how do you engage with it? But I don't think that's particularly like, uh, I don't, I think that's kind of covered under the whole, what are the stakes? Right. Because, it's yeah, because it doesn't do anything. No. So if your if your game degrade devolves into like everyone <laughs> just gazing to the abyss all the time, yeah, it will stop going anywhere, and they will get sick of it very quickly. Also, there won't be new things to gaze into the abyss about. Yes. After yes. a certain point, you will you will have pulled on all of the threads available to you, and you'll have to go like do something about it. Yeah, get yeah, up yeah, off your butt and do something. Yeah, because the moves that are inherent in this game are like turn someone on, shut someone down, lash out physically. Like you have you have to do a thing. And that means you have to get in front of people. And those things are manipulative and terrible. God, I love Monster yep. Hearts. Um, I don't know. And like in any PBTA game, the MC, GM, whatever, is generally given so much power to just be like, cool, we cut here, new scene. Like that's one of your big tools for just strong arming play into the places you needed to get to or mm-hmm. to keep things rolling. Like you are the custodian of the game's pace and all of these things by merit of just being able to say, cool, cut, new scene. 
It's a very, very powerful tool. You don't need to let your players chew the scenery until they're satisfied because they never will be. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's very, very helpful to just be like, great, we've gotten enough out of this. We still have some momentum in this scene and that's great, but I'm not going to let it peter out. Mm-hmm. Instead, I'm going to cut now while things are still good and we'll keep that, carry that momentum into the next scene instead mm. rather than let it just kind of spiral itself out in the same space. I think people are generally too precious about cutting and moving to the next scene. And they're trying to be nice to their friends and give them an opportunity to like play the game or whatever, but like really just make a cut, go to the next scene. We don't need everyone to get the last word on, you know, whatever just happened. We can cut and move on. Mm -hmm. Yeah. We, and, and like, there will always be new fun scenery to chew, right? Like once once you've got the flavor of this one, just do it the next time. There's, limitless opportunity and possibility ahead of you <laughs> just cut cut the darn scene and move on to a new scene you'll feel the same way about that scene as you did about this one all of my children are my favorites oh they're just not sydney they're just not you you have a favorite and you just need to admit it i want to talk about like the lucidity of the visions in gaze into the abyss because we talk a lot about like what it looks like to the audience and stuff like that. How do you how do you frame the answers that you're giving the players to both meet the contract that they've engaged with in that they will get their answer and also to like to keep things like feral and uh, melodramatic and um, dark? How lucid is lucid? How lucid is lucid? I think. I think there's a lot of room to be really, really generous with information. Again, going back to the idea of like, it doesn't matter how well equipped with information the characters are. They can't actually do anything productive with it anyways. That's a really good point. I like that. So I don't think there's any need to be like cagey or protective with how much information you give um, because they just, they just don't have the tools to make good use of it anyways. One. And also that like, Actually, you know what? I don't think I need to say anything else about it. I think it's just like, mm-hmm. you can tell them everything. They can mm-hmm. go in with full foreknowledge of everything that's going on. And because of the tools the characters are given and the fact that they have to roll dice to use them, you know, like there's your there's your tension. There's already enough drama that will be created. The game will provide that for you in spades. You don't need to, you don't need to worry about that, I don't think. And so, yeah, be forthcoming, be generous, um, tell them maybe a little more information than they were expecting to give them you to give them or, you know, give them the information about the one thing and tie it into another thing can be a really fun way to generate a little bit of extra uh, kind of punch out of that, that moment to show not just the thing they were asking about, but how the thing they were asking about connects to another thing that they maybe wouldn't have thought to connect it to. There's an MC um, reaction. To another one of the characters. Yeah. There's an MC reaction for like, put them together and gaze into the abyss is the perfect time to be like, Oh, the reason that like X is doing Y is because of Z. Like the reason that that Cage is um, being cagey and is and is being standoffish is because the Queen has some sort of leverage over them, and you need to exactly then, yeah. Because the best thing you can do in Monster Hearts is point the PCs at each other, uh-huh. and then you and then as the MC, you can just like take your hands off the wheel, step back. They will just generate all manner of chaos and drama going at each other mm-hmm. endlessly. I think. Of all the PBTA games I have played, Monster Hearts is the most like interplayer antagonism oriented game. Mm-hmm. Like just always, always the baddies are not external. 
they are one PC and another PC, just like butting heads, duking it out, fighting over things, being terrible. Yep. Um, and yep. making out all at once. Like, yes. That is and that's the, the glory of it. Mm-hmm. So you, you don't often need to do anything but point them at each other mm. or, or give them, make them fight over the same one thing, right? Like make that triangle mm-hmm. where they have a shared goal or interest or attraction to another character or whatever the case may be. And they will just tear each other to pieces going after that. It's great. That's what the game is all about. That's very, very, very good. Gangs add plus one to your roles. What does Gaze into the Abyss look like with a gang adding plus one to your Gaze into the Abyss role? And how does that change like the stakes and the manipulation of the move? Yeah. So like if I'm the queen and I am gazing into the abyss in the company of my clique. Yeah. Well, I mean, we can refer back to some of the examples from the text, right? Like of get high and slip into an alternate consciousness. Mm -hmm. Great. I'm doing that on the couch with all of my, you know, my girls, my boys, whatever, my thems. Um, I think I ran a game of Monster Hearts once where the, the queen's clique was basically just a cult by the end. Certainly by the end of it, this was the case. Um, And she was like murdering people in the woods with an ax and stuff. It got really (laughs) messed up. And like, I wasn't trying to go there. The player of the queen was just like, I do the most horrible thing you could have ever imagined, but then I make it 20 times worse. Oh God. And I'm like, uh, cool. Yeah. Uh, you, you do that. Great. Uh, next scene, I guess. <laughs> Thanks. Consequences. Yeah. Like, I can't, I can't make the situation any worse. Mm-hmm. It's like a game of chicken between me and the player where they're just like, I'm going to fuck this up faster than you can. Here I go. So yeah, I think there's plenty of room for, like weird cultish stuff to happen or some of those more mundane activities that can like take on a, a strange second meaning um, in the course of us declaring them as being gazed into the abyss mm. are great in the company of others. Mm. Yeah. I love that. Like it then gives you an option for your seven to nines and your six minuses to like make soft and hard moves against the gang as much as against the player. Yeah. Um, they're, they're bringing those people into their, uh, consequence yes crosshairs essentially yes. that's something that keeps coming up in moves is like how much fun it is to bring other people npcs npcs alike into your failures and it's just such a joy yeah i love dragging other people down with me that's what i live for <laughs> um did you have anything more that you wanted to bring into gazing the I, th- I think we hit like the points that i was really interested in and dug up some stuff that like this yeah, that, I think we, we covered the big things that I wanted to talk mm-hmm. about around, like, how does this fit into the rest of the game and, like, how to make sense of its place within its context. Yeah. And then also um, kind of what it what its purpose is at the table rather than just, like, what the text says, but, like, why yes, do you why does this? it exist, yeah. And, and I think the thing that came out that, like, really the, the bit that I have learned from this and the bit that goes forward is that the stakes of gazing to the abyss actually don't matter. Like, it's not about if someone fails, you shouldn't be like, ah, oh, well, take two harm and also monsters come through and all this bad stuff happens. Like, gazing to the abyss is a player saying, I haven't had enough screen time. The best thing you can do is offer them more and then they're going to get themselves in trouble anyway. Like, you don't have to help make their lives worse through gazing to the abyss. They will do it through other moves. Yeah, I don't think you need to, like, always... You know, I don't think it's a follow-up with a hard move. Mm-hmm all that often kind of uh, thing for, for them to use. I think the MC will generally, cause it's kind of like a soft move for the player yeah. as well. Right. Like when the ghoul gazes into the abyss, that's a lot less 
impactful on the fiction and the kind of narrative that we're creating than when they like eat the school principal. Uh-huh. Yes. You know, like exactly. if I'm, if I'm just kind of gathering information or like getting, getting access to like a way back into the story or whatever, that doesn't need to have like immediate punchy, brutal consequences. Mm-hmm. It can have consequences commensurate with the action I am doing. And that just helps players who have asked for spotlight know how to like a, play- a player said, I want to, I want to do a thing. And because they've asked a question, they've said, here's the sphere that I want to do it in. And as an MC, you can say to them, yeah, I like, I agree with you. And if you want to make this good for me as well, if you want me to be a good spectator, do this with it. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's like a player level conversation between the player and the MC uh, to, to decide what to, what to go after next or what they think is cool. Um, and it's just couched in this metaphor of the character and, you know, the character layer yeah. of the fiction. But fundamentally, it's, it's you know, me, Andrew, asking you, Sydney, like, hey, wouldn't it be cool if my character got into trouble in this way? And you're like, yes, yes, it would. Andrew. Yes, it would be cool. You can have plus one forward doing that or whatever, right? So <laughs> go do it now. Go, go get in trouble. Go on that plus one forward. It's just there waiting for you. Yeah. So it's a, it's a very nice uh, way to use the game's mechanics and systems mm-hmm. to talk about a thing that we might talk about kind of more casually. If we were, if we were both watching the same TV show, we might say like, Oh, wouldn't it be cool if da 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 did da da da. Yeah. And now we have a move for that. Yes. If we're playing, a, yes. uh, if we're playing monster hearts where we can, we can pose that question indirectly. I have said a bunch of times that I think monster hearts two is one of the like best designed PBTA games. It's certainly one of the cleanest designed and gazing to the abyss really does everything that like read a person, read a situation does in such a perfectly clean way. It just does it so much more like messily so much more. Yeah. It it, like suits, it suits the game and the characters capabilities and the stakes and everything Mm. very well, but it is covering a lot of that same ground. Yes. That those those other moves do in those other games. God, I love Monster Hearts. Do you wanna we, we should we should play more Monster Hearts. We should play all the Monster Hearts. We should It is it is a truly excellent game. I'll fly up there right now and then you Andy and I can play <laughs> Monster Hearts all the time. <laughs> I would love to. Unfortunately, flights are very cheap now, which it's the worst time to fly. For, for all the wrong reasons. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. What a shame. The Hard Move was created by Matthew Gravelin and is hosted and produced by me, Sydney Chris. You can follow the show on Twitter at The Hard Move and find bonus content, including full-length episodes, at patreon.com slash thehardmove. Music is by Nick Gravelin. You can find his work at nickgravelin.com. You can follow Andrew on Twitter at Commuting Crow, and I honestly cannot wait for their game Girl by Moonlight. I think it drops later this year, and it's gonna be phenomenal. Content featured in this episode is from Monster Hearts 2, written by Avery Alder, produced by Buried Without Ceremony. Mark experience.